but <laughs> yeah. Um, talk a talk about a move, eh? Was... Yeah. So I think that was the most <clears throat> kind of interesting thing, and obviously Keith bought it, um, which I you know that seems like the the logical move to me. Um, so yeah, you know, going into like a quad four, I think long U S dollars is, is probably a pretty good trade to look at. So, um, yeah, but that was, that's what jumped off the page for me this morning was, uh, currencies. And then, yeah, volatility is still like, you know, kind of tightening up here. Um, yeah. After that little kind of scare higher, um, but yeah, currencies today. Yep, and then the other one too. I'd say volume. It was pretty lackluster again today. Um, you know, I think we had a pretty. It was a week. You know, weekday yesterday, right? Um, so obviously, day over day, probably going to be relatively flat. Um, but I think you know you'll you'll certainly see on a one month average uh, would be would be down. Um, in that regard. So, you know, I think, you know, Keith on the macro show this morning mentioned about volume kind of a, um, as, as obviously one of uh, three key signals that he always watches and, and whether or not that was going to be kind of, you know, we're in the green today, but it's kind of on lackluster volume. So to me, I kind of, you know, I, I, Sold, sold a little bit, and as I mentioned earlier, is a pretty busy day again in the uh, in the old day job and, and uh, traditional office um, versus the, the tiny little McGrory family office. But uh, it was kind of selling some of the lever long positions, right? Just again, just depending. You, you never know what this PPI print is going to look like tomorrow and how the market's going to react, right? So it kind of was, um, you know, shoring up the book a little bit, uh, but left a lot of stuff kind of on uh, both kind of longs and shorts um so yeah i mean i know keith mentioned tightening up the book this morning and and i did that a little bit i'd, I'd like to see you know i think we do get you know the, the, obviously from a probability standpoint the the vix range from 15 to 21 um you know if we get it drifting back down towards the low end of the range um you know you're going to see everything obviously move higher um you know and i suspect that's that's certainly how I'm kind of positioning my book today, right? Is with this disinflation, disinflationary uh, print. You had China, you know, last night slash this morning, um, come out with those numbers, and you know, typically they they lead as 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 we all know very well. So um, you know, should be obviously pretty interesting day tomorrow. Uh, I will say, you know, from again these these forty four thirty calls are a little tricky to do the analysis because I got to kind of slam it in in about twenty five minutes. Um, and, 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 but on a kind of one week, you know, uh, Utes are, have given up the most, right? So they're down about 1.52%, uh, but still very much holding on to one month and three months kind of price momentum. So definitely, you know, and, and as Staples are right behind there too at, at minus one, 1.3%. So, you know, those are definitely good, good opportunities here in the last day or so, uh, especially if you were, um, I think Staples in particular yesterday, um, you know, sold off pretty, pretty well. And, and we obviously got that RTA as well. So, um, you know, I think that's, again, key positioning, uh, not only for this sort of narrow quad four, but uh, the quad four that's looming behind it. And that's kind of how I'm, I'm kind of looking at things. Certainly the commodity space um, last couple of days, uh, so really the last week, but I mean, it's just been an absolute hockey stick. And, 
um, I can't imagine that that's going to kind of last much longer. Um, so that's, you know, that's definitely some of the key things that are popping out of my book. I did short some natty gas today with a plug nose against Leslie's advice. Um, but you know, that thing's just been on a ripper and, and, uh, you know, again, I just, you know, it's probably go bullish trend tomorrow. I seem to keep liking these bullish trend, uh, shorts of, of oil and, and natty gas. And I got copper in the book too. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's about it. Obviously China, I've been a big proponent of China the last few, few weeks, really since, uh, Thanksgiving, to be honest, but, um, that, that one's obviously picking up some good steam and then hopefully, you know, those on this call, um, have at least a small portion of their asset allocation towards, towards China, because, uh, it's got, in my humble opinion, a long way to go here. And this is the perfect time to, to add to it where you're going that phase transition from, you know, uh, bearish to neutral to, to potentially bullish over the course of the next few weeks. Um, but with that, I'm going to kind of open it up, you know, uh, anybody who's, who's speaker. Yeah. I mean, by all means, uh, chime in with what they're seeing. Hey, Trend Wizzo. Hey, so I'll go next. Um, on a signal basis, uh, I see a pretty strong signal within U S equities for, energy and financials uh, i've been uh, taking interesting bets on financials both on a very short term basis such as scalping the brk <laughs> versus, yeah versus yeah, those, also strategic those, position that's going to be my question more shorter term though trend um on on kind of you know playing their earnings and what have you yes part of it is earnings part of it is also uh, momentum beginning of the year when I was trying to slightly reposition with a value tilt, uh, I realized that uh, should I go with the actual direct stocks or maybe a proxy for all these value kind of stocks because BRK is an interesting uh, hold of, uh, it has some Amazon and some Snowflake in it, but majority it is packed with all the financials. And with the 10-year moving the way it moved, uh, what I was thinking of where the BRK will be uh, Berkshire would be at the end of first quarter. It ended up just rapidly jumping up to 480, uh, 480k within a matter of few days. So uh, I had to exit out of my uh, my strategic asset allocation in the core, and that's why I've been trying to scalp it uh, using the market on close uh, numbers. Um, so uh, going back to overall asset allocation, I've been increasing allocation to international compared to domestic. Uh, I did not pare down any domestic. I was pretty long. I had converted a lot of my cash to tech, such as Google, Amazon, um, Microsoft um, on Monday. Uh, and then now I'm starting to pair off uh, quite a bit of that. Um, I'm also, um, I was quite heavily long on the commodities front because on the very short-term signal front, uh, commodities ended up giving extremely strong signal in the last few days. Um, so those were some of my risk on kind of trades. Uh, I began with an initial startup position on the bonds, but we'll see if I build it out or not. Uh, on merger, and, uh, merger arbitrage or merger acquisition arbitrage front, there was a bit of a beat down in the Casper, the mattress company, uh, there was widening of the merger up spread there. 
which was valuable because uh, one can take a position to narrowing of that spread. Same with uh, some of the other merger op counters such as uh, uh, ANAT or ANAT wasn't as um, nuanced, uh, which Microsoft is buying, so on and so forth. Uh, that's a good alternative strategy to consider for the book because it is relatively less market beta oriented. So it tends to provide you that uncorrelated asset return. So merger arbitrage would be one strategy I'd highly recommend to track. That's and awesome. Awful. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, on the on the on the <clears throat> on the bond side, uh, Trent was a, you know again Gavin put out a great great video uh, last night on that subject matter as well. But you know I think there's such an interesting dy dynamic there between uh, you know investing or kind of you know taking a bit more shorter term versus the longer term outlook um, in regards to the asset allocation, right? And, you know, uh, and I know there's likely a few on here. I see Palmer, um, he went, uh, I know he went a little bit bigger on the, on the uh, bonds and whatnot, uh, similar to me. I kind of got a little bit more aggressive than I, I should have been, uh, but I guess a week or so ago. And, and yes, I mean, you know, I think I'm, I'm going to be looking at them as Gavin mentioned last night to, Sort of uh, trade them, trade around them a bit here. I think you're going to get, you know, certainly in Q1, um, other opportunities to either to scale back in, uh, perhaps not at obviously kind of, you know, pricings that we saw, you know, Monday and, and what have you, but uh, certainly at, at pretty good entry points uh, in preparation for that quad four environment that's looming. Uh, Jimmy, uh, you're up, buddy. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, good. Yeah, I missed really. the first couple of minutes. Did anyone talk about gold yet? In the beginning, just going through the. In, no, okay. no. Um, I took off half my gold calls. I think I was talking to a couple of you guys a couple of days ago. I saw that Keith, uh, you know, issued the, the the sell on his gold GLD maybe a day or two ago. Um, I guess you know this is kind of consensus now, but I would have thought that gold would have had a slightly stronger day on a day where the dollar was down so much. I know there's been a lot of nothingness with regards to USD correlations. You know, they were positive or negative for all assets for a while and then they started going towards zero but uh just curious if anyone else has anything to, to say on gold i mean gold to me kind of is pretty much right i mean kind of just right a little bit range around right like uh, you know um in terms of risk range in my humble opinion right now and obviously you're also getting that with you know gbz volatility down you know at four, you know, just over 15, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great place to have your asset allocation for sure. Um, you know, I think the upside, upside is about 172. And obviously we were kind of right on that number from a risk range standpoint this uh, today, I believe, right? The top end was 1837 and we were, where did we go? Yeah, so 1826, right? So kind of, you know, Jimmy, that's kind of, you know, I, I shaved a little bit yesterday. Uh, so I actually didn't touch much today. Um, just because I'm not as big as I'd like to be anyway. So again, it's just kind of personal. Um, uh, I think it's probably a good call on on the calls. You uh, you hopefully made made some good money on that. Uh, but that's sort of my thought process. I'm still only about uh, what am I? I'm, I'm like two percent, maybe three, depending on the portfolio, right? So I'm still pretty tiny in gold. So I'm kind of just um, yeah. That's kind of my thought process right now. That's cool. And then yeah. one other thing, I'm sure we'll have a chance to talk about it plenty on this call, is uh, looking at tech, right? We, we got the sell signals a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, I, I did notice, you know, when, when, when we look at the volatility action for, for VIX, VIXIN, I mean, they've come down, but 
you know, tech has made a bunch of lower highs. A bunch of them have gotten bearish trend. So, like, if there was yes. some mean reversion, you would have expected VIX or Vixen to stay elevated and then maybe come down at a higher level, right? So that, to me, um, if we're settling into some of these lower ranges and we're losing price momentum, that's, you know, on the margin, definitely negative. Um, I, I still like some of my names. Uh, I'm not huge into tech, but uh, it was a little concerning. You know, there's a lot yeah. of hope in my book, and, and that on the margin was not as bullish as I would have hoped. Yeah, I mean, one of the stronger signals out there, I mean, right now, is, it remains Tesla, right? Um, I mean, they had a good day on good volume again. Um, and I'm not just uh, saying that because uh, Vance Cowher's on, on this, uh, in this space is either. It's just the it's just facts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're spot on there, uh, Jimmy. You know, the XOK, big, big lower high of the day. Uh, that Vixen, yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't kind of want to break that 23 handle. Um, I think that's going to be a big one. If we can see it, especially tomorrow, right, if it if it can kind of um, break down below that, uh, especially with good volume, then, you know, you could really see all-time highs uh, be very much in the cards, in my humble opinion. But we're, we're just uh, – th- I think there's just a lot of indecision right now. Um, and I don't know if it's because of this PPI print or just – um, other market factors, but certainly um, that's that's sort of my take and, and one of the reasons why I wasn't a, a big seller today. I think there's a factor rotation on the tech side. So for instance, yeah. uh, really strong signals and tickers within XLK space, within tickers uh, such as uh, MU, so Micron, KLSC, AVGO, Qualcomm, having extremely strong signals. Uh, I'll ignore uh, Xilinx because, you know, it's going through the AMD situation, but uh, HPQ uh, and all of these less favorite names or less uh, popular names, right? LRCX, these and Apple. So these are having extremely strong signals. Even key site technologies, uh, I used to not trade in that name much, but uh, uh, decent uh, signals on some of these names, uh, both yeah, on sure. a medium term perspective. Yeah, great call. And I think some of those overlap a little bit. Or I know, um, yeah, semiconductors too, like SMH, like they're right on the cusp of kind of regaining one month price momentum. They're they're still very much, uh, you know, bullish trend. And that's a great call at trend um, because, yeah, I mean, you basically could have some uh, rotation to other components inside of tech, right, versus the traditional big boys, um, which, which is really, really good. And SMH, I mean, that to me, is a great example of if it can kind of hold up here and, and sort of break trend then or trade, excuse me, or, or kind of regain, you know, bullish trade, then like, that's another good, um, good kind of read through for the marketplace. And then that SMH also uh, typically plays, plays well with, um, you know, other kind of emerging markets uh, style factors as well. Right. So if you're kind of looking at some of the factor exposure there, um, you know, go down to kind of Asia, in the last month, you've got kind of, you know, India, Vietnam, you know, Taiwan, Singapore, they're all kind of leading the charge. And, you know, that makes sense with kind of some of the price action that you're seeing in, in the semiconductor world. Uh, uh, in the tech space in general, or even in any other uh, overall market, what I'm noticing is if a company has even slight value-ish kind of tilt, uh, meaning if they're giving any dividends or if they are having relative reward multiples, and the chances of them appreciating are much higher as compared to the ones which were already with high multiples. So there's some sort of a convergence that is happening uh, within that diaspora. So uh, that yeah. while looking at your portfolio, if you look at it from an ag- aggregate multiples perspective, and if you just uh, you know weed out 
based upon that and you know prune your garden accordingly then you might start seeing better performance yeah absolutely yeah um yeah that factor analysis is key right uh, trend and um yeah i mean you've seen high dividend value uh large cap you know quality they're all kind of leading the charge uh yeah. chris chris you had a question i believe where everyone comment <clears throat> yeah hey man um yeah well, welcome it, hey, yeah to be here I mean, every every couple of weeks i managed to get in um <laughs> that's right <laughs> it, it was on, it was on um, uh, jimmy bringing up gold i always well not always it's never always um i always tended to get caught out especially when i was trading obviously in uk hours in that when i was trading gold i would have the direction right but then as soon as the volume hits in us trading on the likes of gld even if you had the direction right, as soon as that volume hits, it you know it will it will chuck you out of the trade. I mean, and gold's one of those things. Gold isn't a U.S. asset, right? So that's one of the things that can really trade outside of the U.S. hours. So even if so, even though gold's going up now, and then it's the, a lot a lot more of the volume comes outside of the U.S. hours. That's what I'm trying to say. It's one of those things that will it could move a lot more in London hours tomorrow. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think actually you see that sometimes you'll see uh, actual gold trading in one direction, and then you'll see GLD the opposite. Exactly, the exactly, time. and and you re and you really have to look at the um, at the difference between the futures and then the types of options that are being traded on GLD. Because that can really push it any one way, and then that's when you see gold all sort of trend in one direction, then just absolutely go banzai in the opposite direction once the the, the futures kind of catch up with or catch out the guys that are putting positioning on in uh, options on GLD. Yeah, I find it kind of um, messes with the eyeball premiums too. Uh, yeah, you for know. sure. Yeah, yeah, like. Like, you know, we got a 20 hour rise of this morning. It was a 20%, you know, premium on, on GLD, right? And and I always take those, a lot of those commodities with a bit of a grain of salt because, you know, they'll they'll be hedging, you know, hedging using the ETF, what have you, or ETN um, versus owning the, the futures or the underlying commodity outright. Yeah. 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 It's just something to be aware of. It always caught me out and then I sort of figured it out. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's really true yeah. of any ETF, actually. Um, I actually used to manage an ETF way back, and and I could tell you that what's what's inside the ETF and what the ETF value is are, you know, not always the same as we all know. So yeah. trying to trade uh, using ETF ETNs on the short term, based on fundamentals, is you know, there's some there's some issues. It's it's a great longer term trade, but a short term trade, you know, like I said, it has issues. Yeah. No, great point, X2. And then, um, yeah, so Chris, you ha also had a question. This is completely off topic right now, but you had a question around 529 plans. I don't know if you got your kind of answer yesterday, but did it oh, make no, yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. No, okay. no you're you're yeah. So the other part okay. is two things in my head. So I had that. I was, I was interested in what the hell this crazy thing was that you could only trade twice. Yes. <laughs> but, yeah. then, but then part of... Um, was around kind of like yeah, tech, right? The, the review, the review from last week. Um, 
was how much of this move in something like XLE is people buying this year what they wish they would have bought last year? Yep. Uh, you repeat that? Uh, go ahead. Uh, no, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, if not necessarily relating to the, whatever it was, 529, not related to that, but how much of this move, it's like this vertical move in XLE is just because people are buying what they wish they would have bought last year. You know, XLE was up 44%. Mm-hmm. So they're just throwing money into this in January because they've gone down and went, well, what, what was the most, what was the highest performing sector? Oh, XLE, right. Well, I want to put money in that. Yeah. So for those that weren't, um, that didn't join last week or, or you know, didn't get a chance to watch, listen to the replay. So what Chris is talking about is, you know, we, we had a conversation with Andrew Freeman and, you know, he, he used to be kind of a consultant for, um, you know, uh, pension plans and, and, and other such sort of uh, endowments, stuff like that. So he, anyway, he, he had just kind of mentioned with Gavin um, last week about sort of the, the pitch, right? The, the kind of consultant coming into the investment committee and, and recommending, you know, uh, you know, say energy, right? Or commodities in general exposure, right? To, to their, uh, to, for their exposure for 2022. So I think that's, Chris, that's sort of what's stemming the question, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It, yeah. could, it could be part of it could be attributable to that, but a significant part for XLE is attributable to the fact that just like XLK or XLY, how two companies dominate those ETFs. Similarly, XLE is dominated by XOM and CVS, right? 40% of that ETF or more is dominated by just those two. And those two are by the move in the oil, right? So if you look at oil, the way it moved, um, that's the primary contributor to XLE because move in oil influences the move in XOM and CVX, and that in turn influences uh, XLE. So it's it's kind of similar sets. Um, so crude, uh, XLE, these are all similar sets. Without sounding like a dick, how much of the move in oil in oil options is because they have to hedge the move in XLE? I know it's not. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah, asset under it. management for XLE is not comparable to the crude oil uh, open interest rate. No, I understand. No, I understand. I get it. I just it was it was more a comment on last week just to say people always people always want to buy what they wish they would have bought. Right. That was that was the main point. That is true. That is true. That people feel like they've missed out on the inflation trade, so they're jumping onto some of the inflation trades right now. Especially when, like you see, like inflation is everywhere, right? I mean, like it's being reported everywhere. Obviously, Keith yep. held up the the Barons uh, front page right. uh, this, this week. The... Sorry, I missed that. I was saying it's about to hit the peak, um, so... Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I would say that that's one of the... You know, I'm I'm pretty quiet still. Like, I have, like, in one of my accounts, I have, like, 57% cash, which is the most, you know, in a really long time. Um, but, like, this move in oil and rates and everything, I think it's just, like, it's not something, like, I'm just going to come in and short oil at the top of the range right now. Um, but in the immediate term, setting up into the back half of this quarter into Q2, I think 
one of the most interesting trades will be to, you know, short some of these commodities on an intermediate term time frame. Um, it is really funny, like a bunch of people at, you know, the nine to five job, they know I'm into the markets and some family members and they're like, you know, texting me these like terrible energy companies that they want to like get involved with here. And I'm just like, you know, it's all adding up. Like it's exactly that everyone saw it run last year and all these crappy newsletters are like, you know, marketing all these energy stocks. And, um, but look like to trends point, like he's, he's traded it tactically because it has strength. And, um, on the other side of this bond trade, it's like, if you saw this signal strength in the 10 year yield in any market that made sense with the roadmap, you would be max long, you know, it's like, it's a really strong signal. So in the short term, you know, I don't want to push against that too hard with too much money. Um, and just kind of like let it settle out and see and kind of stay nimble here. Um, and then I think it could be setting up for what would be a really good place to, to push against it. You know, I don't know if you guys see it like that. Yes. Spot on. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I made a video a couple of weeks ago that basically said, you know, talking about the quads and relating it to trend following. Um, because there was a, a what is it, trend followers unplugged a podcast. I was listening to that over the Christmas and New Year. And the whole time while I was listening to these guys talking, I was like in my head, I'm thinking just on that, exactly on that about XLE. And if you've got two or three hundred markets that you can trade all the data that you get from Hedgeye and, you know, using the quads and whatever, it allows you to cut it down to say 25 or 30 higher probability names that you can pay atten closer attention to, but it doesn't mean you stop looking at the other 250. Um, right. They also just, get some, some diversification as well. True. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just, and I, and I, and, and I equated it to, um, almost in position sizes so even if something has strong trend outside of the quad so it's not in a good quad for it maybe it's instead of being a i don't know if it's an equity instead of being six percent maybe only the maximum it can be is three percent i don't know hey robert yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, Mitchell, uh, go, go right ahead. Care if I take a stab? No, no, um, please. I think an important thing to note is that um, oil stocks may have been or, or might be uh, going vertical, if you will. They're going vertical against oil, which is seeing uh, lower highs, right? So I think, I think less, fewer people are more apt to trade fewer retail and fewer individuals are less apt to trade oil itself than equities right so I, I do think it has a lot that this move has a lot to do with everybody thinking that they've missed it i've been i've gotten out of those names and i got out arguably early right so i haven't ticked i, I didn't tick the the high but you have 
the clients calling back saying, Hey, we left early. We left early. We left early. Yeah, I know we left early. Um, we, we have, we're, we're 14, 15, what are we? 12th, 12th of January, January is half over. And, you know, Q2 is less than two and a half months away. I, I, I think you're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of emotional run up in a lot of things that people missed. And I, I, today I was buying every bit of, um, interest rate sensitive that was down still, right? XLP, XLU. Um, I, I, I think that it's much more important to be set up for what is coming because if we, if we still work under the, the thought process that most things go up in quad one, right? If we're in the interest rate sensitive trade with interest rates as stretched as they are right now, uh, I, I hear what Gavin's saying. I'm not max long, you know, uh, bonds right now, but you know, it, it's, it's a chunky position all the way down the curve. So I, I think that, um, when it happens, it happens faster than most even of us react, right? Not everybody's going to flip their book in a single day. Not everybody's going to go long to short in a single day. We all kind of work incrementally. And even still, some of us don't work incrementally as quickly as we should, as some people are still working out of their Russell shorts, right? Or, or I'm sorry, their Russell longs. You know, they're, they're still small cap centric and they haven't gotten out from, you know, August. So I think it's important to be on the right side of the quad four call and interest rate sensitive names on the equity side. So you still participate, but also be very, very aware that we that the time and space time is ticking. Uh, I, I, Keith mentioned that today. I think he I think he noted that, it you know, the second quarter is only a couple months away. So I, I wouldn't be getting too cute with with anything at this point, especially if if we don't get a, a large sell-off and quad one does roll and we do get to all-time highs, then Powell's much more apt to make that mistake in March. You know, if, if markets are down, right, then he's less apt to make the mistake. If markets are up and we're in a real quad one and things do start to, to roll and everything does go up, they are much more apt to make that mistake. So I, I wouldn't get too cute. I, I, I'm positioning XLU, XOP, uh, ITB, XLRE, gold, and I'll, you know, TLT, uh, a dollar. I will, I will be okay being not as right, like right, because things go up, but I don't need to be on the market. But when the market goes down in that true quad four, will be will be well ahead of the curve and won't have to flip out of much to go short if that makes any sense make perfect sense and i think that's you know hopefully that's where how most people are, are thinking about their book of business or their their book right their portfolio um because you know gavin you know uh, sitting at I, i'm i'm paraphrasing or, or summarizing or, or approximating gavin but he, i think he said about 43 percent 45 percent cash right i mean that that's um 57 you know, 57 percent. there you go all right so over 50 percent. so uh yeah i mean that tells you right there kind of how uh in og like gavin is is thinking about things and and other side i think that's that's spot on i mean that's m most of my you know yeah new, bu new buys have been in in similar type um, asset allocations as you
Hey, go ahead. I, I was just going to add on to that. So context, 57% cash, that's in an account that was up from 2021, 60%, uh, where I'm, I'm not really trading it like day trading. I, I don't really do that. I just pick spots and, and put positions on and, and try to catch catch larger moves. But um, I guess what I'm saying here is that if you've been doing this for a few years, you should realize, at, well, I know some of the people who, who have do realize this. Like last year was pretty easy. Like it was pretty simple. And right now is, in my opinion, it's just more difficult. It's just more challenging. And when I start to see that, and there's like less clarity, I've talked about this in videos, I just pull back and I take down my, what I call gross exposure. I don't know if that's really the correct term. That's how I think about it. And so there's just more cash in my account. So it doesn't mean like I'm not bullish the S&P 500 or like I, I still do what my market basket, the tracking basket will allow me to do based on signal. But since I don't see a really clear path forward and then the path I do see is a potentially like, you know, really like heavy cash environment, I just start to like take it down. And, you know, over time, if you have a really big year, um, the best thing to do is not give that back and then let the market set back up again and, because it comes in waves. So eventually you'll, you'll see it. Maybe it's six months from now and it becomes more clear and then you take that cash that you made and then you compound it. You know, so like that's why it's not just like, oh, my gosh, like I'm 57 percent cash. I don't know what's going on. It's like, no, I, I do know what's going on. It's just that I don't know exactly how I would want to position all that money, you know. Completely. So so that's Completely. that's the thinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, that's um, very well said, as usual. And it, it makes perfect sense. Right. I mean, you're, you're the patience is is the name of the game right now. And you've been seeing that for really the last was last month, uh, to be perfectly honest. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, Rob, uh, Simone, welcome, and thanks for joining. We appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. Hey, guys, what's going on? Hey, hope Good. everybody's well. Uh, um, yeah, very, very much. Yeah, yeah. I, I was listening um, just earlier. I, I think uh, I can't remember who it was who brought up the XLRE. I, I just wanted to maybe bring up an interesting point. Um, you know, in, in my space, so. If, if you disaggregate the index, which is, is actually like, you know, I can't really speak to utilities, but in my opinion, it's becoming more and more, more, and more important for REITs. In, in the first 10 trading, well, really, I guess, eight trading days of the year, you've had this huge divergence where um, a lot of the most rate sensitive uh, parts of the curve, so to speak. So I'm thinking like, data centers, towers, um, which also caught a couple of uh, old wall downgrades last week, have, have really underperformed like super materially. And I'm talking like six or 700 basis points versus the index. Um, and, and they actually comprise a pretty large, like if you look at American Tower, Digital Realty, Equinix, they're a huge part, uh, component or, or you know, portion of the XLRE right now. There's actually an opportunity if, if you're thinking about trying to get ahead 
to the earlier point, get ahead of the, to the earlier point, um, the rate move of, of like over, like tilting the XLRE by, by either longing or shorting individual components of it. So I, I just wanted to bring up that, that idea for the group without recommending in, individual stocks. There's been this divergence. So anyway. Yeah, no, uh, AMT in particular has been on my radar and, and, Looks great. I know Leslie. Exactly. Uh, yeah, Leslie pinged me yesterday saying that she she uh, was getting getting long some some of the AMT and and it uh, makes perfect sense. Um, I've not pulled the trigger yet, uh, but it's definitely on the short list. And and the uh, XLR in general, I think, is one of the better setups um, from from kind of a you know if you're looking for. Um, Deploying capital again. I mean, XLU, XLP, you know, XLRE, but XLRE in particular, I think really, um, you know, there it's had a rough start to the year, especially with these interest rates. And um, the to Gavin's kind of point in terms of like setting up for, you know, a couple quarters really, in my humble opinion, for for the REITs, uh, you've got a lot of kind of um, uh, tailwinds behind it to to help it um, across the board. And obviously, stuff like American Tower uh, it looks looks very very good right now. The, uh, or oh, sorry, uh, Jimmy, you, you had the question. Uh, I apologize. Yeah, no, sure. it was great that you got uh, Rob to speak about the because I was just going to ask him the same thing. You know, year to date, there's been a huge, I wouldn't even call it a rotation, like especially on the institutional side. Like a lot of the positioning for the next year is done in December, and like the year to date, you know, some of these you know, dead cap bounces, if you will, like some of those office names are up 10, 15 percent. Large caps, a lot of those larger components, apartments, data centers, the town, ten percent, something like that. Um, so, definitely some alpha opportunities, especially the, the type of weed exposure you want in a quad four, is the type that's on sale right now. So, rather than just buy XLRE, if you buy like a you know twenty thirty billion dollar you know large cap REIT that has the factor exposures you like in a more defensive setting, that's the way to do it. Um, yep. I got to think a lot of these institutional managers feel like they do call it offsides because the move has been violent. If you split it up by large cap, mid cap, and small cap, it's, it's been very, very noticeable. And I have to think that's all just incremental buyers, people who are on that, like you said, that, that value trade or whatever that, you know, this, this trade has been like. Yeah, and. Sorry, Jimmy, you're cutting out there, but um, Rob, uh, out of curiosity, I mean, I'm, I'm, I unfortunately don't. No, no, you're good. You're good. Were, did you finish up? Were you good? Yeah, yeah, I, I finished up. I just yeah, wanted okay. to kind of confirm what Rob said about the disparities within within the sector. Yeah, and, and Rob, just so for people listening, um, in your sector pro product, do you do you kind of break down, um, you know, what what sort of the different kind of buckets, I guess, that, or, or both the companies that you cover, as well as um, some of the kind of underlying components that would work better in the, the various squads. I mean, obviously, you know, we have that at a larger scale for the individual ETFs, but just curious kind of from a, a sector or from an individual names per, uh, component just for the, for the group to know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and actually it was, um, I spent a lot of time when I first got to hedge, I kind of, kind of thinking through that because historically, um, it was based upon Bloomberg subsector classification, and it's not really the way a buy side read analyst thinks of the world. They um, they tend there are actually like many different subsector components within REITs. So if I if I disaggregate that and I really break it down, what you find in a quad four, uh, dovetailing what we were talking about, uh, you know, healthcare tends to work. Um, towers and data centers are among the best performers. 
coincidentally retail, um, uh, particularly the strips, the grocer anchored strips, uh, do very well. And, you know, it, it depends on whether you look at like mean returns or, or median returns, but as expected, some of the, you know, the higher beta shorter duration subsectors are among the, the, like the worst performers. They're still positive, but they lag. You really have, I mean, if you just go by the back test and, and this is really why it's like important to think about disaggregating the XLRE because it's changed a lot over the years. Like it used to be overweight office and retail. It's now really overweight data centers and towers. And, and those two subsectors really tend to outperform. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's how I'd answer that. Yeah, that's funny. You gave me a flashback to, I think, one of the first times you're on the macro show and, you know, when you first joined uh, Rob and I think, uh, you know, Keith asked you a similar, similar question to mine that was expecting kind of a relatively simple answer. And, and obviously, because you're a stud, uh, you, you went into that, that very similar. Uh, well, you said it, not me. I'm not comparing myself with Keith, but I'm just saying that I am... Uh, do keep it simple, uh, or try to, and, and it's not always as simple as, as, as one would like, like it to be. Uh, but no, anyway, but thank you for that, Rob. I always yeah. it. You got it, Rob. And by the way, I got, I got to jump. I, I just wanted no. to add that really quick. So Cheers. have, uh, yeah, yeah. enjoy and guys. Thank you. Actually, for the invite. We haven't been able to, 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 to congratulate you. So congratulate you on, uh, on the, on the pregnancy. Um, congrats, oh, man. Yeah. 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 So I, I know we, we, I think I'm sure there's a lot of Twitter uh, followers here that, that sent you, sent you love, but, uh, we had Freebird last week. I mean, basically, it's just kind of, you know, Hedge just turned out babies. So we had Freebird, and we talked babies then, and uh, talking more babies with you. So uh, congrats, I, man. And, and I really the appreciate that. We'll do. I appreciate it. Be well, guys. All right? Yeah. Catch you, you later. Cheers. All right. Sure. You're up. So my question was, in, in addition to cash, is it also good to have, like, let's say if I have 50% cash, is it okay to have, like, 20% in uh TLT and stuff like that, because uh, even if it goes up, I have so much cash, I can keep on buying some of it. Uh, uh, yeah, Gavin, yeah, you want to answer that? Yeah. yeah, this has come up recently with some people I've been talking to. And for me personally, I know some people in the industry consider, you know, like SHY, like a cash position. For me, cash is cash, you know, so like the bond ETFs, I don't include them as cash. Um I know some people have, you know, the complete opposite view on this, but that's just for me, um, you know, and, and that's just how I do it. It's got to be cash or, you know, a, a different currency, um, you know, like G7 or something like that. But uh, yeah, so for me, I don't include the bond ETFs. Does anyone else have a different would, view on that? No, I would agree with you, Gavin. I think obviously it's a kind of a personal uh, decision that you got to make, Chirp. But I, I would agree. I mean, I think even you know going SHY, going um, IEF, whatever, right? So even kind of short duration things that don't move or don't have quite the volatility or the beta, uh, you know, it's still exposure to to an underlying security in an asset class. So you know, I'm I'm definitely in, in your in your camp, Gavin. I think you know. A month ago or so, I was uh, around 40, 45% cash, and, and you know, I, I, I wanted to, to, to have that, right? It was uh, decisions that were made, and now I'm, I'm not quite, you know, I'm closer to kind of 10% cash, but it's, um, again, it's likely going to, you know, if we get the move that I'm 
positioning for, which is sort of continued volatility moving lower and, and kind of asset prices going higher or like, you know, U.S. equities in general um, going higher, then I'll be raising cash pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, yeah, if you have, if, if everybody remembers, even back during the, the what would be called the uninvestable quad four of February to March, everything got hammered, including bonds before they started to work. Right. So uh, cash is cash, in my opinion, as well. I agree with the other guys. If, if you can just because you think something's going to move the, the a specific way and it in quotes should move that way based upon quad, we know it doesn't always work that way. So cash is cash and, um, you know, take your bets accordingly. Just from like, sure, uh... I'd suggest uh, it would depend on whether you go into bonds for dampening the beta on your portfolio, or is it for some other reason? If you could tease that out, then I think it would help because no, you know, basically, if you hold I up... to uh, because uh, like interest rates, like I'm thinking, like how high could they go? And like last week, uh, other side and everybody were talking about like how. Like, we don't know how high interest rates can go. So it's better to just... I'll give you, I'll give you a, a notion, right, how to typically gather, in general, broader consensus of huge bondholders. So the biggest bondholders, generally speaking, tend to be either the sovereign wealth funds whose, uh, whose outlook you cannot really decipher, but the ones who you can decipher are the insurance companies. So insurance companies in all of their transcripts and or their uh, prepared remarks for the earnings always give out what their outlook for the 10 year is primarily because if you look at any company right be chub aig whichever one uh, they have almost four to five times of their market cap as their rates books and only a small portion of that is in the government bonds but they have a lot of corporate bonds they have other rates products across the world by which they try to create yield against their float so that would be one of the best ways to looking at it. Um, when the 10-year was at approximately 1.35, it was unsustainable, partly because most of these holders were uh, targeting approximately 1.75 to 2 on their bond side. And they, they tend to jump in you know, whenever they get that kind of yield, 1.7 for 2. Um, so again, on the upper side, there tends to be a cap. That's where Keith is saying, right? If we have a Goldilocks, if we end up going to the Q1-ish period, then we would end up having a range-bound 10-year yield. And in that situation, yes, uh, getting some bonds right now at 1.75 would definitely help. But keep in mind that cash that you stash aside in bonds, it's not going to perform for the rest of your portfolio. So if you have a high beta portfolio of 2 or 2.5 or 3 and or you are levered, meaning if you have portfolio margin beyond the regular rectum margin, then it might be worthwhile to hold some bonds just for the sake of it because you have adequate margin available. But if, you, if you're trying to just deploy regular cash without any margin, then it depends on what your portfolio outcome you're seeking. Uh, are you seeking to dampen your beta or something else? Uh, it, it definitely doesn't substitute cash. Yeah, Chirp, when we were talking about it last week, the 10-year was around a 173, 172, 173. And yeah, I I don't think it's got more room to the upside uh, than downside. I mean, I, I think it's nominal. Topped out at 180, something, 182 or 
whatever it was and it's sold back off. I, I, I'm in the disinflation camp, right? So my position got bigger as we moved higher towards, uh, 180, 182. And then, yeah, as we came back down, I reduced the position, but I still have about a five and a half percent position. That being said, that was a, uh, an investment based upon where I think we should be going based upon deflation or disinflation into deflation. And I'll trade accordingly around that still, it's not cash. Yeah. And, and that makes sure, sense. Sorry, so Mike, my, it, it, it tripped the other, I think the other portion of your question was like, if you got a bunch of cash, can you take your bond position bigger? So, is that, so also, is that correct gonna, too? So basically what I'm trying to imply with this question is that we know for like a, a higher probability of bond yield from here is more to the downside. Is it not better to have decent sized position just to capture that one move? Uh, as opposed, like like quad four is not easy. We won't be like getting like hundred chances to like trade and make like ten fifteen percent in a trade, right? So it's like have one huge trade that will go in one direction, as opposed to constantly worrying about like how much. Well, we still have lots of cash, but like have that one position. Like how do you? That's what yeah. I'm trying to figure out. Like, is there one move that you can set up right now and keep setting up? One that happens, you make enough money and you're good for the whole year. Or is there a way to do this kind of stuff or not? Are you guys are focused on just the portfolio construction of it. Personally for me, sorry, just personally for me, um, there'll be money to make, but quad four, like <laughs> if you come out at zero in quad four, you're doing a lot better than everyone else. So it's not, I, I like I get putting these trades on to try and, um, but yeah, I don't really know how to explain it other than if you get if you come out with zero, you're doing great compared to everyone else. So it's not really about what trades are going on to be able to make loads of money. It's keeping everything that you've made over the last 18 months. That's personally for me. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, I think I forget who mentioned it last week, but um, might have been Greg. I, I forget. I'm sorry. But um you know, it's like, you know, it's not necessarily even catching the quad four bottom, but it's just being able to pivot and be nimble enough to, you know, when it looks like we're going to be coming out of that quad quad four, um, to be able to be able to, to, to be nimble enough to deploy that capital and really, you know, get the huge bang for your buck for like 2022 to Chris's point, right? If you're flat in quad four, but if you're redeploying and, and you know capital into you know depressed asset classes, that then for the rest of kind of call it H two of, of 2022, um, you know that that's going to set you up to be a massive outperformer chirp. So, you know, it, it, I think right now there there's two different components, right? There's sort of a, a near term near term trades across the board, and you're seeing that basically all inflationary assets, right, are at lower rates. So, you know, you've got your your commodities, you've got the the, the ten year. Um, you know, and, and the setup here in the near term, but then you also kind of have this intermediate term, right? Basically between now and, and say the next, you know, month or month and a half, maybe two months, maybe two months um, where, you know, you could see kind of a bit of a different environment. And then it's that, you know, quad four environment where, you know, the being in a, a big chunk of cash will likely make the most sense. Yeah. yeah. But what Chirp, you're also touching on, if I'm, if I'm listening to you correctly, some macro traders may just put one bet on and, and attempt to make their career out of a year. But are you, you're then looking to 
find a, in quotes, bet in order to make a year you're breaching every rule that you might have for yourself in terms yeah. of in terms of position sizing and all that jazz. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't I didn't see anything wrong taking my position up to uh, taking my position up to eight, nine percent. I'll go as high as 10 percent on a on a bond position, but I'm back down to five, five and a half percent with that move. So I would not I would not take my position through my max regardless, because I think all of us or most of us on this call probably trade with rules, right? So yeah. and that's one of the rules, and, position sizing. And, and <laughs> Jerry's <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Sorry, Trent. Uh, it, uh, I'll pass off to you in two seconds, but uh, yeah, other side, great point. And for me, you know, you, you sounds like you've already kind of peeled off some of your bonds. I'm kind of waiting for the middle of the range, so closer to kind of that one, you know, call it 160 level, 165 level chart. Um, that's where I'll be uh, start to peel off and taking, you know, that that gross exposure down to to the to to, to rates or to, to to bond my bond exposure in general um, will start to shift uh, and, and and adjust. Uh, trend uh, over to you, buddy. Yes. So uh, in terms of bonds, so uh, you generally wouldn't want to hold duration risk at this moment, uh, given that we have the quad one narrow quad four kind of outlook, uh, I would steer clear from holding any duration risk. So when you mentioned TLT, that would be one of the biggest issues. Uh, the TLT has a bunch of duration risk. Um, if you want, you can probably try something more near term, um, such as uh, some other ETFs, which are for much more shorter terms. All right. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Also, with earnings coming up and OPEX coming up, uh, do we want to pivot our discussion there for more? Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah so speak is, uh, Friday. yeah, next next Friday is uh, uh, OPEX, right? And uh, OPEX tends to um, provide some sort of, uh, you know, market conditions of non-strength. Uh, so the next upcoming one is on 21st. So heading into that next week, starting around 17th or 18th, we'll start having position of non-strength. Uh, it's coincidentally also the time when we would start having some of the earnings. Uh, there's a there's an interesting phenomenon in the market about pre-markets earnings run-up. So if you look at a bunch of these mega cap tech stocks, uh, generally speaking, maybe with exception of uh, Facebook for whatever reason, uh, you tend to see... Uh, and I'm not just talking about the Fangman stocks, but also, you know, go down the list to anything about 100 billion valuation. They tend to have a week or two of run up prior to the earnings. Um, so one of the plays I do is diagnose on those uh, by buying uh, an option, call option, add the money um, for uh, after the earnings is declared and then subsidizing it by selling a 30 delta call uh, for a week prior. Uh, however, um, that trade works only in specific scenarios, and I'm kind of more skittish this time to use that, broadly speaking, across the board, except for Amazon. Uh, Amazon is having interesting alternative data, but uh, uh, op OPEX and the earnings would be two interesting catalysts and trigger um, to help us navigate both valuation-wise as well as uh, from a timing and uh, tactical positioning perspective uh, for at least as far as tech exposure is concerned. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> Chris, or you just went to the list mode, but um, anybody from an OPEX or option side of things? Um, 
have any kind of commentary or, or kind of planning. I don't know if uh, DJ's on. I, 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 there's a decent amount of people here, so I'm not sure. Or sorry, J, J, JD, not DJ. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great call out trend in terms of kind of what's on the horizon as well. So you got PPA, you know, we got, we got a near term kind of potential move here, uh, you know, back after this week, which we're obviously all kind of preparing for and, and looking forward to or, or sort of anticipating. And then we got the OPEX next next week with with a number of items. Yeah, Gavin, go right ahead, buddy. Yeah, I was just going to ask Trend, you seem to be knowledgeable about this. And I don't really know all the mechanics. I would just say for this one, I'm, you know, just bullish based on the way everything looks into OPEX. And I'm just wondering if you know, I mean, January is like a really big open interest month. There's a lot of leaps sitting in January OPEX. Um do you have any thoughts on that? If that changes anything or if this one might be a little bit different? So great point. I, so that is one of the many factors that goes into the positioning. Usually OPEX is a time when dealer desks are looking for liquidity uh, in either direction. Uh, the way these uh, bank dealer desks are positioning themselves or they're trying to look at where is the liquidity coming from on the volatility side. So what I mean by that is um, if you look at their classic way of positioning themselves, they're trying to make money uh, from positioning both uh, delta hedging their short calls and short puts um, at the same time. So they are slightly short the calls on the out of the money, slightly out of the money, um, and then they're short on the put set, slightly out of the money. What that allows them is a certain range for the index to lie in but they have to constantly keep hedging. So they, that's what the Delta One deaths are for. Um, having said that, they are not oblivious or they're not, they're always aware about the flow. So for instance, let's say if a big player such as Carl Icahn says, yeah, I think that the uh, VIX has risen uh, up to 25 or 30, I'm gonna supply as much wall as needed, but not here, maybe at 3,800, uh, you know, put strike. And he did that kind of a play. He supplied almost a billion dollar worth of wall. Now that puts all the dealer desks into, because that's a signal for some of the other bigger market players um, also to go in and start putting those kind of bets. And then the dealer desks suddenly have to start curtailing uh, their positions or adjusting their positions constantly in order to make sure that uh, uh, they're well positioned for making the most. Because think about it, they're they're trying to make only 15 to 16% by doing so much activity, like their jobs depend upon this. If they're unable to carry out the entire um, Delta neutral kind of a trade, then they're out of business. So it is extremely dynamic. Uh, the long-term positioning of the open interest, both in SPX, as well as some of the other instruments uh, don't affect it as much as, as we go into the, uh, as we go into 19, 20, 21st, how do those dynamics change? How does the underlying change? Um, so those are the two factors that what kind of volatility supply is coming in and what kind of liquidity is flowing in for the overall market. Because if you look at overall market, other than the mega cap stocks, uh, and when I say mega cap, I mean truly you know, 100 billion plus kind of stocks, uh, regardless of whether they're tech or not, uh, are kind of holding up the market, uh, most of the market underneath it has gone, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% from the peak. Uh, so 
from purely from an optics perspective, the money that comes in uh, for supplying towards volatility ends up doing what is called as dispersion trade. And this dispersion trade is the one that influences most of the outcomes towards the broader indices. Um, so at this moment, uh, the only part I would say is uh, when just if you keep observing what happens as we get closer to 19, one shouldn't get unnerved by any sort of weakness or non-strength that heads into the 19, 20, 24s, at the most even 25th. And then after that, see how the dealer has got position overall in order to make a decision on whether or not you want to stay long the indices or you want to stay more in cash as you are already, right? So uh, that's how one would uh, one would uh, analyze that. And the effect of if there's an excess volatility supply at that point on Friday, you will notice that immediately on Monday, the VIX would be compressed, volatility overall would be compressed. But as we go into Wednesday through Friday next week, we may have gut-wrenching moments overall because of dispersion trading in individual securities. Thanks for those thoughts, man. Good stuff. Thank you. I just thought I'd, I'd uh, go go back real quick on the uh, on the cash versus uh, treasury. Please, please, yeah, it's a huge. It's a yeah, it's a great it's a great process oriented question, Mike. So yeah, please do. I, you know, the only thing I was going to say was um, those of us that that were in the market in oh seven oh eight, um, and I can still remember. You know, cash and cash alternatives included things that you would be very surprised to know, <laughs> like subprime floaters and things like that um, were considered cash equivalents. So I could not possibly agree with Gavin Moore. Anything that is not cash is not cash, in my opinion, um, because unless you can convert it to cash in an instant at the same level, then it's not cash. So even, even U.S. Treasuries, you know, if there's a bid ask, it is not cash, in my opinion. And that was proven in a way yeah, a million times. You remember yeah. bond anticipation notes? I don't, yeah. <laughs> I was just, Mitchell, I was just about to give you a shout out on that. Bond uh, anticipation notes, not oh, cash. Yeah. No, no, not cash. And then yeah, Mitchell also, other side. Uh, so if you don't, um, yeah, so if you don't know uh, of Mitchell at other side, I imagine, but uh, he runs an RA down in North Carolina and puts out a monthly letter that uh, you guys, you know, if you want to get some great insight, uh, definitely uh, subscribe to it. It's uh, it's 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 or just consume it, whatever. But he, he your note, uh, Mitchell, on the bond ETFs uh, and the functions uh, during I think it was your was March or April April note um, of, of 2020. That was a great note, um, and I definitely I'll I'll uh, I'll grab it and, and and share it with everybody. But it was a fantastic eye opening note to me. I don't know which one. So the the first. The, the most. It was the, the one where you, the one where uh, you basically you know Blackstone got bailed out and nobody really oh, realized it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, that, I think that was your March note or April note. I, I, I don't remember. I, I, I rail against. I, I think. I just think it's hysterical that people think that uh, people think that bond uh, ETFs are super super liquid and fifteen percent of their portfolios are defined as illiquid by not being able to liquidate in 
under seven days without adversely affecting the price. It, it's, it's literally impossible to provide instant liquidity to something when 10 to 15 percent of your portfolio can't be liquidated. But that was that was appeal off of the note that I wrote in 2018, which basically called what happened in I, I, I know, I know, called whatever, <laughs> basic, whatever. But I, I mean, uh, when you, you, when you an old wall big shot. No, 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 I hate, <laughs> I, no. But it, it was so clear as day. I wrote it in 2018. I wrote the piece called Moab and it was not written well. It was 20 some odd pages and I just rambled. But it it it, 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 it definitely got the point across. But yeah, that I I, I just re upped it in in March. So, yeah, yeah thank, that, and, thank you. And, thank you, Robert. And that was before your head dry days, right, bud? Um, in terms of uh, you, you discovered them in like 2019, right? Yeah, I I, yeah. I wrote that Moab note well before I knew who Hedge yeah. was. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of my uh, a lot of us get ideas from Hedge but some of us actually do think out outside <laughs> outside <laughs> so, the box. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's great because we all have a collective, and uh, I I think times two is you know. If he's been in it that long, I've been in it for 25 years. I mean, it, we we definitely see things differently, and I think we're all trying to figure out ways to implement the hedge-eye way with our processes, which got us outside of what Wall Street is was, right? And we yep. still – I still make mistakes. Gavin had a better yep. year than I had. <laughs> Crushed me. Yeah. You know, yeah, but, yeah. you know, it, it it's, it's about, again, learning and figuring it out and – you know, sometimes, sometimes it, Gavin's Gavin's advice is sometimes it's taking it off the table and just letting things, you know, letting things ride makes sense. If you have a 15 to 20 percent gain and you just need some time to breathe, there's nothing wrong with that. Most people never made 15 to 20 percent in a year, let alone in a six month time frame. So it's OK to take that off the table let it breathe until clarity comes to you. You know, some, somebody might have clarity. Gavin might have clarity and he, he might be seeing the game at a different level and then, than me or whomever. And then he might be more, he might have more questions where I might be seeing it a little bit more clear, but when you need to take it off the table, take it off the table. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah taking no. it off the table is a trade. That's the thing, you know, Keep being in cash is yeah. also a trade. That's what yeah. you know, we we always Absolutely. want to be invested, and in, and being in cash is invested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, 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 very well said, both of you. Um, so X two, there's another mic on here, so I'm not trying to uh, call you out, but Mike, yeah. um, you you asked to be a, a speaker, and and happy to give you the floor, man. If you got any commentary or questions. Yeah, just a question more so than anything. Uh, I don't yeah. have a lot of insight in here, but the, the discussion just a second. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Welcome. Okay. Yeah. Just the discussion a second ago on OPEX uh, focused on the 21st. Uh, I've been looking at the uh, just sort of focused on spies and, and queues, looking at the open interest on the weeklies. And it's sort of staggering some of the volume uh, uh, on open interest, particularly some of the concentration on certain strikes. Uh, on those weeklies and just wondering how people are using or looking at that information to uh, to adjust or uh, incorporate that information into their process for you know example the 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 amount of open interest on the fifth and on the seventh uh, in in queues was huge same thing with spies and it was sort of surprising given that you know it's relative 
the relative sizing uh, compared to the 21st. So are people doing, what are people doing with that kind of information? So when I say the OPEX, I actually meant products such as SPX. They are way bigger than SPIs, uh, just in terms of the notional and the size. You can look at the overall SPX market and the notional. Those are much more meaningful as compared to just looking at the SPIs and the queues. Um, SPIs and the queues are also driven significantly by retail participation as such. Um, and there's a distinct correlation between spies and queues, um, uh, uplift in volume as well as open interest uh, since the last two years, so post-pandemic. So for predominant analysis, you would have to look at the SPX positioning and the SPX flows. Okay, thanks. And Leslie, I know you're kind of uh, coming off of the, the fight some COVID, but um, I know you follow the options kind of side of things quite closely. I don't know if you have any additional commentary. Dibsy, I see you're on here too. Um, you're, you know, we've got a lot of studs on this call. So anybody whose um, options is not really a, a high forte of mine. So, um, you know, anybody who's got any insight in terms of the OPEX, uh, stuff like that, and, and what they're anticipating going into next, the end of next week, please feel free to uh, chime in anytime. Um, and then, you know, Chris, you asked to be a speaker. I don't know if you dropped off, uh, and whatnot, but I'm happy to answer your question or what have you, or if anybody's got any other questions, we can kind of open up the floor here, uh, to, to anybody. We're not questions, just statements. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Jimmy. Yeah. Last one for me. Hopefully you guys can hear me a little bit better now. I'm uh, stationary. Um, <laughs> Playboy maintained three-month price momentum. <laughs> We're going to Playboy. <laughs> For all the talk of, you know, small caps and SPACs being taken out to the shot and shed, it has been. But, um, you know, if you're technically inclined, that was something to note, that it's found definitely a base around this $24, $23 area. Definitely. Uh, they put out a Playboy NFT handle to you on Twitter. I hope you started following them, Jimmy. I did last night. That was a sweet NFT. And Gavin, uh, saying, I know you're into the NFT world. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting kind of how they start to monetize that and and take that to a potentially kind of, you know, uh, obviously a revenue stream, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, yeah, Playboy, you know, uh, Keith mentioned, I think we talked about it slightly last week. It was really funny. Um, you know, a lot of some of the conversations we had last Wednesday, I don't think Keith was on this call, but I guess he just sort of, uh, you know, he, he, he definitely, uh, had the vibes that we were sending out because he answered almost every single question we had the following morning, which was really, really awesome and, and funny to see. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Playboy definitely, you know, he, he said he's given uh, Magafa a, a leash and, um, you'll be, it'll be, it'll, it'll be great to kind of see where that, where that goes. I think Jimmy, you mentioned they had a con, weren't they speaking at a conference? Was it Monday or two or Tuesday? Yeah. yeah they Mon had the fireside chat yesterday at the ICR conference. Super. Do you know how that went? 
Yeah, they they reiterated a lot of what they said. You know, I think they want to slow play centerfold for this year. Um, they're still feeling a lot of COVID impacts on their retail front, like a lot of other retailers. Um, as far as their digital outreach, you know, Playboy is one of those unique brands where even at its size today, they can partner with luxury. They can partner with mainstream brands. They can partner with celebrities. So they, they definitely punch above their weight from a uh, in the attention economy, if you will. So yeah. Um, some of that stuff, again, it, it's not reflected in their books on the backward basis, but like a lot of other companies that are transforming rapidly, you know, the way that either factor exposures or institutional investors have viewed the company in the past is not reflective of where the company is going. So, you know, again, um, I'm owning my duration, you know, I'll come back when my portfolio is doubled and tripled, but I've, um, you know, a lot of my (laughs) larger investments in private placements, right? So I've got a longer time frame. You've got, you've got you've got public equity that that you're treating like uh like a long term private equity you know <laughs> placement, yeah that's a great way of putting it and no it's uh it, yeah you're you're spot on I think you and you know quad four be damned right it, it's a one billion right. dollar company today I've I got a lot of other five hundred million to one billion dollar companies are they going to be like that in a year or two or three right if they're not zeros then they're going to go to the moon yep yep and um. <laughs> and it's kind of apropos that your wife's telling your daughter that she can't help her because uh, I'm not sure any of us can help your portfolio right now either. So <laughs> it's, uh, it is what it is. Uh, but yes, and and you know when you were talking about the kind of uh, the merch and whatnot, or kind of the the the, the retail component, you know, it's it's you know there's there's something to be said when kind of Bella Hadid right is is rocking you know uh, the Playboy Bunny you know sweatshirt or what have you and uh you know either being photographed or in a in a in a you know in a video what have you right with uh, all sorts of different you know kind of uh, rock stars et cetera et cetera so i think there's a there's definitely an underlying brand component there that you can't uh you can't rebuild and you know that's definitely what we're betting on or not betting on but we're we're baking our longer term valuation on on that component uh Dibsy, uh you came on board so thanks buddy uh, yes. how are you Good, good. I was trying to respond when you were asking for input on the option stuff, but I was on my oh. computer and I had no idea how to request it, so I had to go on my phone. No worries. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, from a practitioner perspective, like, there are sources that you can go to that follow what's called gamma on the options. So as you approach op- option expiry, uh, your gamma uh, which is essentially the rate of change of delta, and delta is your stock risk, essentially. I, I would just say, like, the thing to keep in mind, like, how can you use open interest or how can you use option expiry? For my, from my perspective, obviously, my, I'm just one person. Um, you can kind of use it to look for um, forced buying or selling depending on where the price is. So with the queues, let's say that there's a bunch, I don't know, I haven't looked at it, but let's say that there's a bunch of open interest at the 390 strike. And, you know, let's say it's Friday of option expiry and the stock is below 390. If all of a sudden it gets moved from, you know, 389 up to 391, so we're through that 390 strike, what that would tell me is, okay, we just moved up very fast and too fast for, you know, a market maker or someone who's managing the risk on, on the, on the gamma here. So just think of your stock risk Uh, on the last day. It's very fast. 
basically going zero to one. Um, so that would tell me, okay, we've just gone from 389 to 391. All of a sudden, we know that market makers are really exposed to share price moving now because these options are now all in the money, meaning that to hedge themselves, they need to be buying stock too. So what I would say from like a very, very short-term perspective is, okay, let's say that there's a high open interest. Uh, we just went through the strike. There's a lot of contracts outstanding. This to me means we might overshoot. Maybe you know, we're at 391. I wouldn't be surprised to see us just spike up as market makers have to hedge. Um, that's a very simple example of it. I don't think it usually comes out that simple, but I know like with Tesla, for example, uh, people were buying call options all the time and you'd see what's called like a gamma squeeze, what you can read about. Um, but I would just say like, how can you use that? How can that information be helpful? It might not be helpful. It might not mean anything. The market makers might have already hedged with the following week's contract or they've gotten out already, who knows? Um, but that's how I would, you know, if I was going to, clean anything uh, from open interest. And I don't use this, um, but that's what I would say about that. Yeah, pre pretty good, Gavin. Did that go over a bit over your head like it did mine? <laughs> no, no, Dibsy, you did a great job summarizing that. So thank you very much. Um, it's just something that I just haven't dove into, uh, you know, like the, the you know, in terms of kind of deploying into my uh, process. Yeah, it it largely, it largely, it's, it's, it, I would say it only matters when there's like a volatility shock because right. usually the options market is pretty good at gauging how volatile something's going to be. Right. But if you get, you know, something that goes from a very quiet day to all of a sudden a really big day, uh, you can get some really wild moves, which probably ultimately will mean revert back to where it should be. But sometimes, you know, I guess, if I was speculating or day trading or scalping, I would say, okay, options expiry day. If something all of a sudden goes from calm to violent, I know that there's a realistic probability I could get some insane fills if I just like lowball them or like put really high orders in. Right, right. And Brian, I'm glad you kind of um, uh, asked this to speak because I know you've been kind of writing about the gamma in your notes lately. So I don't know if you've been doing some research on those. Yeah, yeah can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can. Nice. Thanks. Yeah, I've been. Uh multitasking throughout the last hour or so of this so i've just been listening in the background but um yeah so like on the the gamma oh, and uh um, can you hear me now oh, we can yeah sorry yeah someone called me yep. um you know I, I subscribe to the guys over at spot gamma and like the big takeaway i've gotten from it is whether we're in what's called like a positive gamma environment or if we're in what's called a negative gamma environment. Really, like the main difference is if you're in a positive gamma environment, it's going to be a lower volatility environment. So today, for example, we were in a positive gamma environment, which basically means like as you move higher in price in the S&P, dealers have to sell more futures to hedge their position. And if you move lower in price in the S&P towards what's called a gamma flip level, dealers have to buy more futures, which then supports the price. That's why you get kind of this back and forth like we saw today between 4,700 and 4,750 when you're in a positive gamma environment. When you're in a negative gamma environment, it's a higher volatility environment. So there's this level that some of the guys calculate, gamma flip level, volatility trigger, they all call it something differently, but basically, once you break this level and you go into negative gamma, 
that's when dealers will actually start selling into weakness and they'll buy into strength. And that's when it's going to exacerbate these big volatile swings. So I want to say it was mid last week. We just got that flush of the NASDAQ after S&P broke somewhere in the 4,600s and NASDAQ closed down like over 3% and just puked into the close. That happened when we went into we broke into from a positive gamma environment into a negative gamma environment. As soon as that happened, you saw a big drop in the S&P, a big drop in the NASDAQ, and that exacerbates its moves. And you know, trying to buy that into the close is like trying to catch a fallen knife. So those are some of the big takeaways I've gotten from that. And then another big one is what people call their call wall. And that is uh, the guy that was speaking right before was kind of touching on that. You know, the levels of open interest, the levels of gamma that there are at higher strikes. What you want to see is a larger commitment of gamma to higher strikes, which allows the market to move higher. Essentially, it almost acts as like a magnet and provides additional upside for the market to to move up there. So, for example, after the last rally from mid December to uh, Christmas time the call wall was at 4,800. And so that's why what you saw was the market rally from a negative gamma environment. So it had a big pop right away. And then we kept moving higher towards that call wall, 4,800. And then the market pretty much like essentially hit a brick wall and stopped moving. And then we just traded up there for about a week. And then we started seeing the, the downward action that started at the beginning of the new year. And that was because participants weren't committing capital to the higher strikes beyond 4,800. And so um, those are the main dynamics. And there's, there's one on the other side too, there's a put wall. So that's almost access a really big bottom support. The NASDAQ bounced off of that, I want to say a few days ago. And um, yeah, so, there's, so there's, there's kind of key levels that you can get by looking at where these gamma strikes are, whether you're in the, the positive gamma, the negative gamma, and then um, where the big strikes are. So you have the big call wall and the put wall, but you also have key levels along the way. So for today, 4,700 to 4,750, those are two key gamma levels. If we were able to break above 4,750, well, then we're making a push to um, back to all-time highs, 4,800. And you know, that could happen tomorrow, for example, on a PPI catalyst, on uh, Baynard speaking, on the jobless claims numbers, and then Friday on retail sales. So we have things that could push us past the 4750 gamma level and then push the call wall again. But the question is past Friday, does the call wall move higher? Do people start committing gamma right. to higher strikes? Right. And if they yeah, yeah. If they right. don't, yeah. then then we're just gonna pin again. We're just gonna run into pretty much what we just ran into uh, after Christmas and then we get yeah. into OPEX later next week. And then that's how you could get some volatility to the downside if we can't um, get higher uh, above the last all-time high, much higher into the you know mid 4800. So, so we'll see. Those are those are kind yeah. of the key things that that I've taken away from that. Yeah, and one I, has to observe the breaches on both sides. Yeah, one has to observe breaches on both sides. Uh, for instance, while moving down, if the put wall is breached and uh, there's a negative significant gamma formed, the dealer does have immediately they have to delta hedge using SPX or whatever the instruments they use in order to uh, get their books to delta neutral position. And that's where 
it ends up being that they end up becoming the net sellers, especially when the lower side is breached. So, some, you know, sometimes when you see some of these significant moves for no apparent reasons, uh, the liquidation breaks, so to speak, uh, they happen because of breaches, be it on the upper side as the melt-up or be it on the lower side when the put wall is breached. So both those walls are significant just from that standpoint. But they're, they're valuable less from an asset allocation standpoint and much more from tactical shaving off or adding, you know, incrementalism standpoint. Just, um, I put out a video on Monday explaining at a pretty, a pretty low level for me because I'm just getting started into trying to understand this, but I put out a video on Monday explaining this um, gamma exposure levels and trying to tie it back to um, predominantly the risk ranges. I also made a, I don't know if I made a post or it was a reply to something else on the arena, um, breaking down what the price does. I like to put a, like a center line on the risk ranges. So a, the center point between the upper and lower range. Um, and it tends to follow this kind of this, um, It kind of follows this gamma position and where it's about when the price is closing above this center line, prices tend to move less, i.e. less volatility and have a higher propensity to go higher. And if it goes below the center line of the risk ranges, it has larger moves, i.e. higher vol and has a more likely to go down than it is to go up. Um, but yeah. again, it was just, it was a bit like, it was a bit like a, Saturday morning verbal diarrhea. I've done all this stuff over the last two weeks and just wanted to get something out. And then I'm going to go on and do a couple of smaller, shorter videos explaining some of it more in depth. Interesting. Yeah. Like if you guys want to follow, you can follow on Squeeze Metrics. Uh, you'll find some of these monitors, uh, such as Gamma Exposure or GEX. GEX. They primarily quantify hedge rebalancing in the SPX options by yeah there's definitely so, online sources for it but i would just again say i don't use this at all like majority of time i think for some people it can be really helpful i'm sure uh i don't think it has to be something where where someone's like i must you know become a master of this before i do anything because uh it might just be noise also true yeah good great point and so those, uh, I know, again, this is more for the replay guys, but uh, that was at Brian Ross or Ross, Ca Brian, are you Ross Capital? Yeah, you're Ross Capital, right? You're at Ross Capital, I think. Um, so it's Brian, Brian Ross. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yeah, at Ross Capital. Sorry, buddy. Um, and then uh, Trend Wizzo and Dibsy and, yeah, so at Dibsy, at Trend Wizzo and uh, at Thousand Era FX. Those were all kind of speaking there in the last, um, in, in, in that order. But, um yeah, the and uh, Brian or uh, yeah, Brian. Going back to your point, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's P really with the forty-seven, forty-eight dot eighty-three, right? So kind of right on that that wall, and obviously can break through it. So um, it's definitely about. Uh, it seems like it's got uh, uh, it got some headwinds there for sure uh, for some resistance. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you, like one of the main ways I'm using it is because yeah, I don't really trade S and P straight up or Nasdaq straight up or really even Q straight up. I do a lot of single stocks. And so um, I use it as a guide to when I should be grossing into single stocks. Because, like, as you know, like I have my own signaling tools that gives me a good idea of 
when something's a good buy. So I layer on where we are within these gamma levels, what kind of gamma environment we're in, of whether I should be acting on some of my signals. So like I have the S&P, you have the VIX trend, where it is within the VIX risk range, and then you have signals on, signals on individual stocks, and that's like an extra layer on top. So that's kind of really the way I use it mostly. Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. Makes sense. So one, I, I apologize for joining late. I didn't realize no, that this was going on now. Um, did you guys talk about like Powell's confirmation hearing and that? We did not get into that narrative, Dibsy. So please, I just wanted to lead, share us into, lead us into that foray. We were, we were uh, for for background. I work at a family office doing investing. Um, so a different sort of different background but we, we listen to Hedgeye and I think that um, they do very good work uh, but heading into Monday we were very very concerned so, you know go back to last Wednesday the FOMC meeting minutes came out and all of a sudden it sounded like the central bankers were a lot more hawkish um, than I think the street was expecting and that definitely caught people off guard um, and I think just to understand why things went so crazy, where value and financials and energy were ripping every day and yields were blowing up and tech was getting crushed like but relentlessly every day. Um, who, who knows actually why, but our reasoning or our thoughts behind that was that, you know, essentially Powell didn't get, you know, the Fed didn't get the inflation call right and the concern was they were going to, you know, be very, very hawkish. So tighten monetary policy, hike rates, do whatever they can to combat inflation. Um, and we were worried that they were going to do that again, like at the wrong time, because everyone's seeing a material slowdown as we head towards the middle of this year. And to us, that was the main concern and the risk. So fast forward to the hearing yesterday, uh, we were listening and I was listening. And the moment he said that they had a view on inflation, which was that it was supposed to slow down by like the second half, like all bets were off. We, we have a rational Fed who has, you know, the right view on what's happening with inflation. Um, and, and you kind of saw that coincide with markets starting to rally. And since, you know, Tuesday morning, I've been very pleased with how the market's been acting in that, you know, we're not seeing yields blowing up every day just for the sake of it. We're seeing, you know, things starting to make sense again. It's not everything gets sold. Energy and financials do well. There's more, you know, rhythm and rhyme to what's going on. So the market's operating as one would expect it to, regardless of if it goes up or down. It's at least, you know, a market where you can speculate and invest in, et cetera. Um, so kind of moving forward to now, our view is, okay, CPI came out today. It looked fine. I'd say the, the most important thing was it wasn't a huge acceleration month over month. Uh, that that would have been very worrisome, but we didn't have that. We're still in the game. Um, so, so just a combination of Powell and the Fed, you know, having a view that's informed, that sounds logical and probable for inflation is, is good for assets. Uh, and on top of that, CPI data today wasn't like a screamer going higher. So that was also beneficial because if that print was like 0.8% or 0.9%, uh, 
uh, that would have probably caused a lot of scare in the market. So I would just end that that abridged summary of what happened, um, that things are looking pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty constructive. I think we are uh, very eager to put on more duration and um, more tech, more dividend growth, things of that nature. It's kind of just a matter of you know, executing now, as long as the game makes sense and you know what the rules are, you can kind of go about it. Energy is the one sheep uh, <laughs> that we have no clue what's going on. Uh, <laughs> staying away from there. And like we've looked at this. Um, there's a huge underspending in CapEx done by energy companies right now. It's like $600 billion expected by 2026. And so like elevated energy prices, although it's, you know, not part of the quad playbook, it can also kind of just do its thing. If you look back at quad fours over the last 25 years or so, sometimes in quad four energy rips, sometimes in quad four energy is down 20, 30, 40, 50%. So that, that just to end the thoughts there, uh, defensive definitely makes sense. Duration makes sense. Tech, growth, quality, uh, low vol all makes sense. Energy, I wouldn't go to bat shorting that. In fact, I'd probably... Uh, to take a, a flyer, you might want to wager a little bit that that continues to perform. Uh, so those are just kind of thoughts that we've been having over the last week or so. Yeah, high div, high dividend, low wall, definitely the game to play. Yeah, Dibsy, thanks for sharing that. And, and Trin, Trin Lizzo, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the signal is definitely there. Uh, I mean, even, even on the pullback on Monday, I mean, I think uh, low vol, I mean, it barely... I mean, it obviously moved, but, um, you know, it's kind of trended look. Yeah, it, 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 it's low as on, on Tuesday morning, and, and it's just been – that signal is just absolutely awesome, to be perfectly frank. Wanted, uh, uh, wanted uh, to add uh, on, low, low vol SPLV. Sorry, go ahead. Yep, trend reserve. No, wanted to add also about the European call-out by, uh, by Keith today, right? He went all the way up to five, <laughs> including Poland. Mm-hmm. Those signals are uh, also indicating, if you look at some of these markets, right, so be it, uh, uh, be it uh, Norway, it's a similar set as that of oil because, you know, their economy is so much dependent on oil. Absolutely, uh, yep. but Some of the other ones uh, which are in play, uh, they're predominantly heavy value slash financial space. So as the global portfolio churning happens with respect to factors, and with respect to the quads, especially in Europe, because they're kind of lagging behind US a little bit, uh, they're as they catch up and they're at the right rate of change positioning uh, for both the GDP growth rate as well as the uh, inflation, that uh, those uh, factors would play out really well for their primary indices because they don't have the Googles or Amazons or uh, or the Facebooks or the Microsofts of the world, right? They have, if you look at some of their indices you, you have you have them filled with huge capex industries and or uh, large levered financial uh, institutions so that that would be a good way to play that as well they're definitely not low wall but european banks are also being allowed to start giving out dividends so that's another uh, bonus for the valuations yeah Chen was i mean I, I joked this afternoon about you know who had who, who had it on your bingo card uh, for 
Poland, Spain, Ireland, and the and the UK being your top, you know, uh, four performers in the last month uh, out of Europe, right? And 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 Greece, you know, just right behind there as well, right? So it's uh, it's pretty interesting uh, to to see that. Obviously, Poland much more tied towards the commodities and and oil, but but Spain's got a combination of um, you know, to your point, you know, utilities, financials. Uh, are really the top four, right? They make up almost 40, um, yeah, call it 35-ish percent, 40% of their um, top holdings, right? In, in terms of, um, you know, their, their asset allocation. And those obviously perform well in this kind of more value-driven environment, um, but should also, you know, Europe in general, again, if you're kind of looking for a place to, to put some cash and put some work, I mean, there's definitely some great spots there. Uh, on both a, a one-month price momentum as well as uh, kind of maintaining kind of, uh, you know, trend on a three-month basis. But, you know, Spain to me is a really interesting one where it's obviously had a, a big ramp. You know, it's up 8%, 8% plus in the last month, and but, but still down about 50 bips um, on, on a three-month basis, right? So more of a, on a trend perspective. So if they can really kind of continue to, to kind of gain steam here, call it, you know, for round number sake, you know, round – you know, 27 and a half, 28, right, on, on the EWP in, in the U.S., mm-hmm. then, then you know, to me, that, that, that means it's probably going to kind of continue its its strength into its, um, what, they're they're going into a quad one, right? Quad two to quad one, I believe, is what I wrote down yesterday. Jimmy, can you mute yourself? Oh, yeah, my bad. Um, yeah, so, you know, that, that's to me is a great, great place to, to be, right? I mean, you don't always have to be in the U.S. We don't always have to focus on U.S. tech. We don't always have to focus on, you know, U.S. volatility. You know, obviously, that's kind of the, the name of the game, having the hedge eye process in our back pocket and being able to go, you know, uh, globally and be able, being able to put cash to work uh, where the signal is strongest. And that's, uh, you know, Dibsy or the... Um, probably hundredth person in the last twenty four hours. That to, uh, to, to, to basically in in a roundabout way tell me get the fuck out of my uh, oil short and uh, to stop being a complete dickhead about it and uh, and it's being so stubborn. So Dibsy, I'm uh, going to give it one more day. I'm going to see what this inflation print is tomorrow, and then I will uh, act accordingly. So next week. Let's uh, just see, you know, whether or not I am quasi right, or if I am just gonna eat this fifteen percent loss and just move on with my life. Uh, but anyway, it's um, it is what it is, and and you know, we make we make mistakes just like every you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, but I'm gonna uh, you know, it's about we've been doing this for about almost an hour and forty five minutes here, so you know, I'll open up one more kind of not necessarily one more time, but. Um, you know, if anybody's got any questions or additional commentary, love to hear it. Uh, otherwise, we'll kind of try to um, call it an evening <clears throat> or an early evening, I guess. Hey, Robert, I actually yeah, have Gavin. to split, but I, yeah, I liked perfect. what uh, what Dibsy said. Um, you know, I, I made that uh, joke last week about checking your sardine inventory at the end of this week, potentially. And, you know, midweek, we're kind of it's looking like everything's kind of settling back out in terms yeah. of anything getting too crazy. So uh, again, we'll see how the, the week ends, but um, you know, right now stocks and bonds are up uh, for the week. So yes. Yes. Anyway. And, yeah, it's, yeah. It's looking like things are settling back out. Let's see. Um, but yeah, thanks for doing this and yeah, I'll catch well, you guys later. 
always a pleasure. Thanks for joining. I uh, appreciate it. And, and yeah, if, um, if that's kind of, you know, if nobody's got any other kind of comments, I don't know. X2, did you? Oh, Pete, there you go. Perfect, man. Good timing. I think I'm just going to unmute everyone. There you go. I think I accidentally yeah, I think everyone had, was muted. Yeah. I think so. Sorry about that, Mike. Yeah. I think or X2, I had everybody on, on mute. My, my apologies. Go ahead. Yeah. Pete, um, what's up, buddy? Welcome. So this is Pete Vree out of Toronto, I believe, if memory serves. Yeah, for sure. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Go, go right ahead. Your floor is yours. I was just going to add that, uh, like, just as a, a complete amateur at this, um, like you were mentioning, you meant like that tweet that you had today was awesome. And as you were like mentioning that, um, I was looking at Coifin. So like for the past little while, um, I've just been trying to look at the numbers that uh, Hedgeye puts out and trying to make my own decisions rather than waiting for somebody to tell me what to do. Because I always um, I always wait for somebody to, to tell me what to do. Um, so I use that Coifin um, uh, website and it's absolutely phenomenal because it shows you all your markets, all your countries, um, and it's absolutely free. And uh, and your top, your Poland, Spain, Ireland, uh, UK, they're right there. And and the numbers that you are um, are using are like exactly what they have. So um, I, yeah. I was following Ted uh, each day, and I I was trying to create my own thing to try and keep up with the one day, one week, one month to try and visualize what uh, you guys were talking about. And then um, this, I you got somebody mentioned this product, so I just wanted. To, give a shout out to that Coifin product. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, Pete, I think you, I mean, not to, to pat my own back, but I think you reached out to me asking me where I found, where, where yes, I found exactly. those numbers. And, and yeah, so if you're, if you, again, there's so many different tools out there, but uh, Coifin, so K-O-Y-F-L-I-N. Yeah, so thank you. It's, it's a, a, it's a game changer. It, oh, ab- absolutely, Pete. Um, they have some great market dashboards. If you're, um, I, I, I literally have, um, a few things and we can kind of go, go into this in a different call, but uh, definitely Coifin's one and uh, trading view is another in terms of just kind of go to, um, uh, you know, apps on, 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 that are always kind of open and I'm leveraging them all day, every day uh, doing the notebook reviews. It's, it's pretty much exactly, you know, you're, you're nailing the head beat in terms of kind of uh, looking at one day, one week, one month, you know, three months, year to date, obviously year to date doesn't really matter right now, but uh, you know, the longer term as we get more into the year, uh, it's definitely very impactful and, and it's great to have at your fingertips to, to try to make these decisions. Cause to your point, Pete, if you can kind of, um, you know, not, it's not really even front running Keith, right? It's just, it's just making a decision, taking all of the data in, right. Taking all of the, um, the, the quote unquote recommendations, uh, but making it your own. Uh, I think you'll, you'll, you'll find that um, when there's a lot of joy in front running Keith, because you're like, damn, that's, Freaking right! I was uh, seeing the same thing, and 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 I nailed that just a few, a few steps before him. But then, you know, on top of that, you'll you'll find that you'll be you know um, likely more uh, just more at peace with kind of what, what you got in your portfolio, right? Because you'll kind of understand why you're investing or why your asset allocation is to a particular um, security, particular asset class, factor, exposure, et cetera, et cetera. Right? And I think that that there's a lot to be said for that. Cool. And then I just wanted to highlight a mistake that I made. Um, mm. So, um, so I Leslie has phenomenal ideas all the time. And so, um, one of my big mistakes is that I listen to people, but they've already made the move. So, mm. my big mistake was that I got into coal uh, and I oversized the position, 
at the probably at the top of what ARCH was, um, and then came back to it today. And it's I just wanted to highlight like it was a mistake, but it was I knew that energy prices were going to go higher. Watching everything was happening in Europe and everything, um, I knew that you know coal was going to come back, um, but I puked like midway uh, there. And I should have held the position because it's right back where I had it. Um, <laughs> so one mistake was getting in after everyone's talking about, like when everyone's talking about it, I should have like waited, like same with uranium and everything. So uranium, coal, should have waited. Um, and then should have like, like Mike, what I'm trying to learn is have a short list of things that I look at rather than trying to follow everybody's ideas. Just have a short list. Because if I had looked at ARC, I would have seen the bottom and now I'm looking at it Again, and I'm like, oh, I missed it again. So, just want to highlight a, a big mistake that I made. Yeah, that's. Um, it, this is a judgment-free zone, Pete. Uh, so you're always welcome to uh, air out any wins and losses, right? And or you know, mistakes or or, or good moves as well. So if you got any good moves, maybe we can just end it on that. <laughs> uh, no good moves at this. Thanks very much for for, all, yeah, for this. Was, really appreciate. it. Absolutely, buddy. No, uh, well, yeah, just uh, happy, happy to do it. Go ahead. Yeah, who was that? Just before we, just before we go, I just wanted to. Um, Michael Bloom just put out the the um, information about the meetup. The tickets are going on sale. Yes, you just put I was, something up that's going to be on the macro show. Yeah, I was going. I was going to mention that, Chris. I saw that as as um, you know popped up in my my timeline. So yeah, so for those kind of paying attention i know they the, so hedgeye kind of leaked out um you know the fact that they're doing a conference here in, in may of 2022 and it seems like uh, tomorrow they're going to be uh providing more details uh, about that conference and stuff like that so uh definitely you know look out for those details uh hopefully some of our you know global brethren uh, might be able to kind of uh, fly in and, and join us and you know even here in the u.s looking forward to i'm, I'm certainly um Hoping to, to make it for the weekend, I think it'd be a, a lot of fun and would be awesome to put, uh, you know, faces to all these wonderful Twitter handles uh, that we get to interact with, um, or that I certainly get to interact with uh, on a on a regular basis. So, uh, thank you to yeah, it's a great 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 comment, Chris. So thank you. I don't know whether I've just shot myself in the foot, but now that people know that they need to pay attention to get tickets, and I might not get a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I, I certainly pulled up the hotel reservation, uh, you know, as I saw that, right, trying to front run it. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe the hundred or so they're listening in right now will be in the same boat. We got, we got a leg up. We got a leg up. <laughs> I think, I think I'll just bring a tent and just sleep outside. <laughs> you can always, you can always try to bunk with Freebird or something. You know, you just gotta, you know, you gotta bring some ear earplugs for the, uh, you know, to block out the new baby. But, I was going to uh, say, yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah, he would want a... Um, He'd probably want a hotel room himself, right? Exactly, yeah. 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 Kid, kid for his own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we know what that's all about. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. And, you know, Pete, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll leave this. I'll, I'll tease this out. I think Leslie's going to tell me that I'm dead wrong, but uranium to me, uh, there's so many commodities. And I know Keith is saying it. He said it this morning about, you know, commodities exposure they're they're ripe for for shorting uranium is right on that cusp i haven't pulled the trigger yet but it's definitely on my short list it's uh it's right on i think the like kind of hanging on to one month price momentum ura is 
Um, so I, I kind of really want that to break and, and it would be, I think that's got a big time move lower. Uh, so I'll just, I'll tease that out there. I haven't put it on yet, but it's definitely one on my short list. Even UNG got right to like $16. If you look, that's like heavy resistance from a lot of the December, uh, bottom. So now that support has become resistance, right? It was up 14% today. Um, yeah, maybe not yeah. tomorrow, but something to it, think about. Because I'm a bit of a degenerate, I shorted that today. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. What's your time duration? We'll, right? we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my time duration might go from a day to, to, to three weeks because I was dead wrong. But, but we'll see, my man. We'll see. Anyway, um, awesome, guys. Well, appreciate your time this evening. Um, we're going to wrap up here. Unless, uh, Chris, did you have a commentary? or? No, no. Good. No. Yeah. Awesome, buddy. Um, good stuff, guys. Well, again, appreciate everyone who who chimed in, everybody who participated. Uh, it's wonderful to have um, you know all of y'all uh, listening in other spaces. We'll, we'll be at it again next week, eight thirty p.m. Eastern um, for another notebook review. And uh, you know, I'll tease this out there. Chris and I are, are kind of going to do a little bit of a, a process oriented uh, chat tomorrow morning. Um, so look for you know we'll we'll be putting that video out on on the YouTube channel as well. So. Uh, keep an eye out for that. It's going to be our first foray into uh, kind of a bit more of the process side versus the notebook review side and just kind of how we deploy the, um, our, our, um, you know, our, our process and stuff like that. So um, the, the hope is that we'll get some kind of uh, hedge eye Jedi's and OGs and anybody else who's willing to chat with us about their process. Um, we're going to kind of try to kind of do that format over the next you know few weeks and see if it's a, you know, if folks enjoy it. Uh, so DM me or, or, or thousand air FX, if you're, you know, if you'd like to chat with us and sit down for, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is about your process and how you deploy, um, you know, hedge eye and stuff like that. Uh, so with that, I will end, uh, this awesome spaces. Appreciate it. And have a good evening, everyone. You too, Rob. Thanks. Thanks. Good night guys. Appreciate it, guys.